The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with back at records. The Nasdaq doing something for the first time in more than two years as stocks lock in four straight months of gains. Also this morning, under pressure, shares of New York Community Bank, they are sharply lower again as the regional reckoning, it creeps back into the investor limelight. We have the details ahead. Also, backing Bob, an unlikely cast of influential Disney characters just coming out the woodwork to support CEO Bob Iger and slam activist Nelson Peltz as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Plus, Congress, it passes a stopgap funding bill to kick the can just down the road just a little bit longer and then later in the show. It's not just big tech, a closer look at one sector that's gaining a lot of ground in 2024 and some hot names that might be flying under your radar. It's Friday, March the 1st, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collins. Get you ready for this first trading day of March. We're going to kick off the hour in the new month of trading with the check of U.S. stock futures. And I'm going to crank up the old cliche machine. The S&P and the Nasdaq sitting at all-time record highs, leaping to them on leap day. Uh, right now, you can see, however, a bit of a mixed picture. The Dow down about 35 points. You see the Nasdaq firmly in the green. It's the S&P just fractionally higher, almost flat right here. Okay. The Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq, they're coming off their fourth straight winning month in a row with the gains between 2 and 6% over the past 29 days. You can see the Nasdaq is the leader. This is the Dow's first four-month win streak since all the way back in May of 2021. With the Nasdaq coming off its first record close in more than two years, a check of a few of the stocks that helped us get here. NVIDIA, I don't think you're very surprised there, up 61%. Constellation Energy, that may be a bit of a surprise. Also, the best-performing stock in the S&P 500 over that time, up 44%, followed by Meta, up 39%. We're also checking the bond market this morning after yesterday's PCE inflation report. Looking at the benchmark, we actually saw the benchmark. It just ticked down just a few basis points following that report. Right now, sitting at 4.26%. We also want to look at oil this morning, coming off back-to-back months of gains. Also, our Bob Gasolines. Best month since July. You can see Arbob this morning up 1%. Brent up 1% and just almost a half a percent. Similar story for WTI crude. That's the U.S. benchmark trading basically at 79.30 a barrel. And last but certainly not least, we got Bitcoin this morning. We can see Bitcoin essentially flat. Remember, Bitcoin trades all around the clock. Uh, right now, Bitcoin trading at basically 62,150. Um, big run up year to date, as you can see. Look at that chart. Okay. That is your morning money setup. Let's get right into what is expected as this new trading month begins. We're going to bring in Scott Ladner, Chief Investment Officer at Horizon Investments. Scott, good morning. Great to see you. Morning, Frank. Thanks. All right. So, Scott, you're getting the first crack at the question. I think everybody's going to be asking here on CNBC and Wall Street, what now? We got the S&P and the Nasdaq sitting at record highs. We have seen a broadening. Consumer staples, the best performing sector in February. But at the same time, this is data from our CNBC team, our data team. The now fabulous four. We were talking about the Mag 7 before, but the Fab Four, Fantastic Four, whichever one you want to use, accounting for 57% of the S&P gains year to date. How do we go from here? What do you do? 
Well, I mean, Frank, yeah, that is that is going to be probably the most important question over the next couple of months is can we get more stocks than, you know, four or seven of, of these massive stocks uh, driving really all of the index value uh, for, for the year? We think we actually probably can. Um, but we, we, you know, we think probably it's going to come from within the S&P 500 rather than from a, you know, from a, like a small cap or a mid cap surge. We think that could, that could have a chance to happen later in the year. We have to have those earnings from small and mid caps really start to play catch up. But we haven't seen that yet. But we do think we can get a chance to see that like the smaller names um, in the S&P 500 actually start to broaden out that rally. Like everybody's been like hoping and wishing for. Um, but we are probably at a place now where the Fed is uh, going to start to pivot and actually going to start cutting rates probably in June. Uh, that, you know, that's probably the time at which we can get this broadening rally. You know, Scott, it's interesting you mentioned the small caps. We're going to talk about those just a bit later in the show. Um, I do want to ask you, we're hearing a lot of talk about small caps. Everybody's saying small caps are going to catch up. In fact, uh, Tom Lee, one of the most bullish on small caps, believes small caps are going to rise about 50 percent this year. What's your argument against them? Because a lot of people, and it sounds like you're one of them, says that the market needs to broaden. Why won't it be small caps? Well, it's just the earnings profile, Frank. You know, they're they're, they're not keeping up. If you look at, at at how small caps and within, I don't care if you're talking about the SP 600 or the Russell or the Russell 2000. Um, you know, they're they're just not keeping up from an earnings standpoint. With, you know, if relative to either mids or uh, or especially large caps. And so, what what we need to see to get small caps earnings going is continued strength in, in nominal GDP, which we think we'll get. We also need to see some of this interest expense start to come down and people's fears about interest expense coming down. And that's really only going to happen when we get lower short-term rates. And, and again, that's a, okay. that's a recipe for later this year. Uh, but until you get you know, the, the, this interest burden that is, that is weighing on some, some small cap earnings, it's going to be tough for them to really get legs. Not saying okay. you can't get a tactical, a tactical rally. We're going to dig into that. We're going to dig into that just a bit. One last uh, thing I want to talk to you about Japan. We're going to be talking about Japan later in the show. I feel like you were in our rundown today, Scott. Um, You're bullish on investing outside the U.S. Why is Japan a good play right now? Japan continues to be a good play. We've we've liked Japan for a little bit now, Frank, but but, uh, it continues to be a good play because they're continuing to get corporate restructuring. We have a new generation of people coming into these these companies that are running for more Western values and, and more shareholder creation values. That's a big thing. We're getting animal spirits in Japan because of nominal GDP growth being being strong for the first time okay. and, frankly, generation. Scott Ladner, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. We have a special treat on this Friday. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Bertha, good morning. Ah, oh, good morning, Frank. Great to see you. Shares of New York Community Bank under pressure once again. The regional bank announcing its CEO is stepping down effective immediately, being replaced by its executive chairman, Alessandro Danello. The bank also reporting an amendment to its fourth quarter results, identifying, quote, material weakness in its internal controls. Seeing weakness this morning across the regional space on the heels of that news as we look at shares of Valley National Key Corp regions and Citizen Financial all deep into the red. Meantime, Disney CEO Bob Iger getting new support in his proxy fight with activist investor Nelson Peltz. In a pair of new letters from the descendants of company founder Walt Disney and his brother Roy Disney, the group of four grandchildren called Peltz's team, quote, wolves in sheep's clothing, just waiting to tear Disney apart, adding that Disney is not a company that makes widgets. It makes magic with Iger and his team faithful to that magic, Frank. Mm, That's a very strong show of support there. Bertha, we'll see you later in the show. Thank you very much. All right, turn our attention now to D.C. and Capitol Hill, 
With a developing story, Congress approving a temporary spending bill to prevent a partial government shutdown. NBC's Bree Jackson joins me now with much more on this story. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Frank. So Congress averted a partial government shutdown for at least one week. Both the Senate and House passed a one-week short-term funding bill Thursday, giving them some wiggle room to come up with a plan to fund government agencies through next September. President Biden is expected to sign the continuing resolution, though he calls it a short-term fix, not a long-term solution. Now, without this CR, about a third of the government should have or could have uh, run out of money at midnight tonight, including Veterans Affairs, Transportation and the Justice Department. But for now, they'll remain funded through March 8th and the rest of the federal government's funding will be extended to March 22nd. While the CR passed the House, some conservatives, they're not happy. They say there were not enough spending cuts. Now, keep in mind, this does not include any aid for Israel, Ukraine or Taiwan. House Speaker Mike Johnson says he will tackle foreign aid separately, but he has resisted sending more uh, financial aid to Ukraine. Now, this is the fourth time this fiscal year that Congress has had to pass pass a short-term spending bill to keep the government funded and avert a near-miss shutdown. Frank? All right. So I got to ask you, Bree, uh, so much partisan politics in D.C. these days. What was the breakdown between Republican and Democrat when it comes to support for this CR in the House? Yeah. So when it comes to the numbers, the House passed the CR on a 320 to 99 vote. 207 Democrats voted for it, along with 113 Republicans. All right. Our Bree Jackson live in D.C. Bree, always great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we've got a lot more to come. That includes the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on New York Community Bank's new turmoil and what it means for the broader banking sector. Our Leslie Picker, she's here with the very latest. Plus, stocks in Japan, they're trading just below their all-time highs. A close look at the stocks that drove that rally and how much longer the party in Japan can last. And later, not just NVIDIA, AI demand driving the bottom line at Dell. We're going to dig into the stock. Surging results for that company. Your big money movers, they're coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Quick check of U.S. stock futures right here. You can see the S&P had just dipped very fractionally into negative territories. The Dow that's really hard hit right now. Looking like it would open up about 45 points lower at the open. Let's now get a check on the overseas action. Our J.P. Ong's in Singapore with the action over in Asia. Our Carolyn Ross in our London newsroom with much more on Europe. Carolyn, let's start with you. 
Hey, good morning to you, Frank. And we're seeing a lot of positivity come through for the European uh, markets here on this first day of March. Take a look at the Zetra DAX. Once again, a record high here, up by half of 1%, despite the fact that the final manufacturing PMI for that country still indicating a recession. We also just had uh, Eurozone February inflation numbers across the wires at 2.6%, falling less quickly than expected. So once again, inflation proving to be quite stubborn. But elsewhere, we are seeing some nice gains here. The 40, though, just dipping into the red. I want to show you what European markets have done over the course, course of February, because we have seen, once again, gains for the stock 600 to the tune of 2%, but it had been bit of an uneven picture here. Once again, the Zetra DAX is the standout performer up by 5% for the month. The FTSE 100 being dragged down by some of the stocks, including the miners. And there's another stock I want to tell you about here because I want to show you the biggest movers on the stocks 50 in the month of February. Hermes, that is a luxury stock hitting an all-time high on the back of strong fourth quarter sales figures. But here you go. Beckett Rankiza. This is a UK consumer goods company slumping earlier this week after its own sales figures disappointed that stock off by 12.5% in the month of February. Back over to you. Carolyn, thank you very much. We're going to shift over to the action in Asia and another big month for Japan. Our JP Ong's in Singapore with that wrap up. JP, over to you. Oh, good morning to you guys out there, Frank. And yes, a good day for stocks on the, our side of the world. And you'd think it wouldn't be the case given we got that dismal PMI reading for both China and Japan that showed manufacturing in the two biggest economies on this side of the world contracting yet again. But if there's one word that might be driving some of the optimism here, it might be actually hope. And it's not just Japan's Nikkei 225 that actually saw strong gains today. The ASX 200 in Australia also coming to their all-time highs in today's session. There is growing hope that that softer economic data in Australia might lead the reserve Bank Australia, their central bank, to actually cut rates sooner rather than later, giving stocks and even mining stocks there a bit of a boost. In Japan, it's the hopes around that corporate reform and also that the spring wage talks might lead to higher wages, which might feed into better consumer confidence that could also lead actual fundamental support for the Nikkei 225, which, as we've seen, actually is now coming within striking distance of hitting that 40,000 mark. Now, over to China, you'll see there was a good day from Shanghai to Hong Kong today. And again, that the, the weak PMI data from China, once again, nudged hopefully some of these uh, uh, these policymakers to provide more stimulus once again that could underpin growth. There are actual reports that the month of February actually saw net uh, foreign investors coming back into China and seeing net foreign fund inflow supporting these stocks. But keep in mind that out in Hong Kong, while tech shares did well, property stocks still in the red and still a lot of question marks and uncertainty there and hope in the property sector is still a bit lacking as compared to other sectors. Will this hope actually carry over into the weeks ahead? Well, that is something But until we actually see hope translate into actual action, whether from the Fed or the central banks or actual economic growth, it might just this uh, hope driven rally might have its have its steam limited for the most part. Good morning, you guys out there in New York. And that's the wrap here from from Asia. Back to you, Frank. All right, JP, thank you very much. You have a great weekend. All right. Let's talk much more about the outlook for Japanese equities with Kay Okamura, senior vice president and portfolio manager at Newberger Berm. And Kay, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Kay, let's just get into it. Nikkei, as we mentioned, at an all time high or pretty close to it. Similar to here in the U.S., it's large cap stocks that are really the catalyst. Regulation in this case, actually a tailwind. A lot of hand wringing here in the U.S. that the market might be topping out. In your view, what's what's it looking like in Japan? Does it have more room to run? Or are we maybe close to the Japanese market topping out as well? 
Right. So for Japan, we expect that uh, this rally uh, actually does have legs. There's a couple of tailwinds for Japanese equities. First, you have um, relatively good economic outlook given the potential rise in wages going forward and, of course, inflation picking up. And then, of course, two, we have the capital management reforms, which was uh, previously talked about uh, in the session. And then, of course, I think there's a geopolitical element where we are seeing um, many companies and, of course, investors choosing to invest in this market given the geopolitical political situation. Um, but that being said, similar to the situation in the U.S. where we are starting to see a broadening out of the rally into the small to mid-sized uh, component of the market, we are expecting to see something similar for Japan as well going forward. Okay, so when you say it's going to broaden out, uh, what sectors do you see catching a bid right now as the market starts to broaden out? Here in the U.S., we just saw consumer staples lead the way in February. We've seen industrials hit a high. We actually saw a transport ETF hit an all-time high just a, a few days ago. In Japan, what should investors be focused on? Of course. Well, you know, we're bottom-up stock pickers uh, here at Newberger Berman, so we don't take sector bets. But if you look across our portfolio, we are most constructive in, say, communication services, financials, uh, and industrials. And, I mean, you know, uh, sectors like financials uh, – do have a uh, macroeconomic component where the potential normalization of the monetary policy by the Bank of Japan could potentially mean that businesses will in within the financial sector will find it a lot more easier to generate profits going forward. But I think at the end of the day, this capital management reform uh, issue right. is very important, and it will uh, make or break uh, future corporate value in terms of uh, higher capital returns. Uh, Per, per company. So it is important to look at these companies on a stock-by-stock basis. So, okay, very quickly. Um, one other thing to, to consider right here, uh, foreign investors, they kind of piled into Japan after Warren Buffett called it. He actually invested in financial firms, which you're just mentioning. But over the last few days, a lot of those foreign investors, they've taken some profits and domestic investors taking even more profits. How should investors read that, just that profit-taking going on in Japan right now? Yeah, Absolutely. And in any given time, I think we will see, you know, some uh, ebbs and flows from foreign and domestic investors. But that being said, you know, if you look uh, across history, uh, going back to 2015 peak, you know, we did see that uh, foreign inflows uh, peaked. But then from there, currently, we're about a quarter of a way uh, back. So we still have a long ways to go. And in addition, I think it is also important to remember that, you know, based on our conversations with many long-term institutional investors, they're still sitting on the sidelines looking at the positive trends in Japan and are increasingly getting interested. And if they okay. start to deploy capital in Japan, it'll be more and more interesting going forward. All right. Keiko Okamura from Newberger Berman says more room to run in Japan. Great to see you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, one of the fastest growing segments of the auction business doesn't involve auctions at all. Makes sense of that one. Well, guess who's going to do it? Our Robert Frank. He's next with a look at the secret sales side. It's coming up after this break. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a market flash for you. We're watching shares of Microsoft. You can see they're down almost a half a percent. Uh, Elon Musk got some news related to him. He's now suing OpenAI over its relationship with the tech giant. Elon Musk is a former OpenAI board member. He's now claiming 
The AI company had compromised from its original mission to build AI systems for public welfare. And he says it's now transformed into a profit maximization entity under its partnership with Microsoft. Again, she has Microsoft down just about a half a percent. Uh, Elon Musk suing OpenAI and Sam Altman. All right, shifting gears now. Time for your big money movers. We're going to start with shares of Dell. They are soaring right now. You can see those shares are up over 21%. That's due largely in part to net income growing by 89% thanks to strong demand for AI servers. The PC maker also raising its annual cash dividend by 20%. It's now 178 a share. Autodesk, those shares also moving higher this morning. Integration of generative AI driving robust demand for its design products and its services. While business in the Asia-Pacific region was a bit soft, activity in the U.S., it continues to be resilient. Shares of Autodesk up almost 9%. And Zscaler, under some pressure this morning, despite beating on earnings and on guidance, the cybersecurity company says more customers are moving away from traditional firewall-based security and are looking to Zscaler for better options. The results follow the sharp sell-off in cyber stocks due to Palo Alto's light forecast. Shares of Zscaler down just over 7%. All right, we're turning our attention now to another big money mover, but it's not a stock. It's the art market, the space founding, the increasing trend of sellers just ditching the auction block in favor of private sales. And who else is here to talk all about it? We've got a Robert Frank. He joins us now with more Robert. I don't know if this is a Frank and Frank, but it's pretty interesting. Oh, it's definitely a Frank and Frank. Everything's a Frank and Frank, Frank. (laughs) Well, auction sales fell 19 percent last year. But one area that's growing is private sales. That's when an auction house brokers a deal directly between a buyer and a seller without any kind of auction. Christie and Sotheby's both did over $1 billion in private sales last year. That was up more than 40% from before the pandemic. Now, sellers, they really like private sales because they can sell a major painting without the public attention. And there's no risk of a work getting, quote, burned. That's when it fails at public auction. And that can really hurt its long-term value. Buyers like these because the fees are lower and they have deal certainty. Now, Christie's CEO telling me the company had a private sale in January for over $100 million. He wouldn't give us any details. But art dealers tell me it was a Rothko, big Rothko, famous one known as number six. It was sold by Dmitry Rabolovyev to hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin, the CEO of Citadel. Unclear exactly what Ken paid or whether he's going to keep this in his Miami home, his New York home. He's got a lot of homes, a lot of walls to fill. Or maybe he donates it to a museum. Meantime, Christie's sale of the Sir Elton John collection topped $20 million that just finished on Wednesday. It was more than twice the estimate. Elton sold his Bentley for $441,000 and his silver platform boots from a stage in 1971 Frank, those were estimated at $5,000. They went for $94,500. So Elton John still standing at the auction block. <laughs> I love you working in the lyrics there. We're usually working in Taylor Swift lyrics. I like the, uh, the Elton John lyrics there. So I, I just want to go back to Elton John for a second. I want to make sure I heard you right. So the stuff in the Rocket Man, I'm, I'm throwing in some lyrics myself. They went for double what people thought they were going to go for? The overall total was double, and many of the auction items went for 10 times. He had some watches that sold for 8 or 10 times the estimate. And there were more than 1 million people, Frank. You talk about TV streaming. 1 million people tuned in to the live stream of the auction. So, you know, again, this is, this is a guy who just has so much reach across so many generations. And these celebrity auctions, when celebrities sell their things, usually it's after they pass away. 
have just done really well. And they're also becoming a big growth sector. I mean, clearly. Wow. $20 million. Uh, Robert Frank, great reporting as always and always great to see you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, our Jim Cramer lays out why Wall Street's record run, why it may have even more fuel left in the tank. We'll be right back here on Worldwide Exchange. Stay with us. It is right around 530 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Stocks kicking off a new trading month after notching their fourth straight month of gains. The Nasdaq hitting a new record close after more than two years. Futures, they're pointing to more gains. And it's not just the major indices finding more momentum. The Russell 2000 hitting a fresh 52-week high. We're going to dig into the long-term bull case for the small caps. And New York Community Bank, its woes resume. The stock getting crushed ahead of the open and on a leadership change and some internal control issues. It is Friday, March the 1st, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready for the first trading day of March. We pick up the half an hour with the check of U.S. stock futures and a new month of trading with the S&P and the NASDAQ. I'm going to just go ahead and do it on leap day. They both leap to new record highs. All right, taking a look at futures right now. We've seen the Dow uh, turn decidedly lower right now. The S&P, similar story. The NASDAQ also in the red right now. Kind of a change when it comes to the futures. Also, we want to check out this three-hour chart of the S&P 500 futures. Take a look. You see the sharp dip just not too long after we started the show. We're not taking the blame, but we do want to say uh, there's no clear indication or reason for the move. Um, but again, sharp downturn in the S&P futures. Want to throw in one other factor. Not sure if that's the reason for the chart you're seeing right now, but we did get February eurozone inflation earlier this hour. It came in at 2.6 percent. Headlining core figures both were higher than expected. Again, S&P taking a leg to the downturn uh, just a short time ago. All right, we're going to turn our attention back to Wall Street. The Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq, as we mentioned, coming off their four straight winning month in a row with gains between 2 and 6%. The Nasdaq, the leader over the past 29 days. This is the Dow's first four-month win streak since all the way back in May of 2021. With the Nasdaq coming off its first close, its first record close in more than two years, we're going to take a quick check of just a few of the stocks that helped us get there. Take a look right there at the top of the list. I don't think anybody is surprised. Year-to-date, NVIDIA up 61%, followed by Constellation Energy, Meta Platforms, and right there, AMD chipmaker, maybe surprisingly DoorDash, uh, one of the leaders there, up 25% year-to-date. We're also checking the bond market after yesterday's hotter-than-expected PCE inflation report. Taking a look at yields right now, we're seeing the benchmark come in at 4.22. Those yields actually easing a bit from what we saw earlier today. We also want to look at oil coming off back-to-back months of gains. And Arbob Gasoline, seeing its best month since July. Right now, Arbob easing off of its highs of earlier today, but still up almost 1%. Uh, WTI and Brent crude both kind of holding on to the levels they were at, both just, you know, uh, well over 1% higher in the pre-market. And last but certainly not least, we've been paying a lot of attention to cryptocurrency. We're taking a look at Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin moving just fractionally higher. It was fractionally lower, trading at about 62190 right now, coming off its best month since 2020. All right, turn our attention back to the markets. Uh, it's not just tech, small cap stocks. They've also had a very impressive run in February. The Russell 2000 rising 5.5% for its best month since December, outperforming both the Dow and the S&P. But for the year, the index is still lagging the other major averages, up almost 1.5% compared to the roughly 7% gains for the S&P and the NASDAQ. While the big three are near record highs, the Russell, it's down more than 15 percent from its all-time mark set back in November of 2021. 
Let's discuss whether investors should use this opportunity to think small. Greg Tordo is an equity portfolio manager at Goldman Sachs Asset Management, who oversees the firm's small cap core equity ETF, the ticker GSC. Greg, great to have you. I'm about to say Greg to have you here. Great to have you here. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for having me, Frank. I've got to get myself buttoned up, man. You like me. You got up and you worked out today. I know yeah. you're ready to go. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I got a lot of questions for you on small caps. Everybody comes on here and talks about small caps and then they continue to underperform. I'm going to give you some credit, especially because you're here. Your ETF, GSC, actually up about 6% year to date. So outperforming the rest of the small caps. What are you doing? You know, I think it's a combination of things. You know, we came into the year, you know, more positive than, than I think most people were on small caps. And I think that we've seen some really strong earnings reports from the likes of the consumer companies, the healthcare companies, even some tech companies. And I think that that's helped us, you know, do quite well. Additionally, I, we think the asset class is poised for, for a nice run after two tough years, most of which has been driven by a, a high velocity raise in interest rates. And I think while it's higher for longer, as we talked about earlier, I do think that, you know, being in a range for, for now gives the small caps a little bit of a tailwind. Okay, so you think the small caps have a tailwind. I'm going to bounce something off you. I had our data team run this, so I got to bounce it off everybody. I put them to work. Year to date, the Fantastic Four, Fab Four, I don't think we decided quite yet. 57% of the game. <laughs> Why are you putting your head down already? Are you hearing this in the office a lot? A lot of people talking about small caps. Um, Mega cap tech continues to dominate. It continues to create all the momentum in the market. And the Fed's also signaled higher for longer. Just generally, aren't higher rates, aren't those just bad for small caps? I mean, why would this be the time? Yeah, I think in the past, it usually was a bad signal for small caps. I think at least for the ones that we own, we have significantly better balance sheets, more liquidity. Uh, We're not focused on some of the really deeply rate sensitive companies that are out there. So I think that that helps us and helps our thesis. I think the other piece of it, too, is that as the market is a, you know, is a, is a discounting mechanism, six months, 12 months from now, you, know, you can see a significantly different interest rate environment, different slope of the yield curve, which we also think will be good for our small cap space. All right. You actually gave us some picks out of the fund. Um, I think there's a bit of a theme here. So some of your picks, uh, one of them, Shake Shack. I know you're a fan of Shake Shack. We talked before the show. Kava, right by your offices. I go to your offices sometimes. We're by your offices. The other ones, uh, not quite restaurants or definitely not restaurants. iRhythm, ticker IRTC, and then ticker VRX. It's Vertex Inc. It's not the pharma company. Yes, it's a tax software company. Yes. You know, it's tax software is not anything anybody wants to talk about, especially when you just think about Intuit. But Vertex is focused on global e-commerce. You know, it's a $22, 23000000000 billion market, less than 15% penetrated. The company uh, you know, has, a, has a really interesting approach to kind of working with both large software companies and large e-commerce companies. And tax compliance, especially globally, is becoming a really, really big driver of you know, how do people enforce you know, the different rules, the VAT rules that are, that are around the globe. And you know, a, lot of country, a lot of countries around the world need, need you know, tax revenue. So it's a, it's a big driver of growth. They just had a great quarter yesterday, and, and they're, they're accelerating family-owned business you know, that, that went public, and mm. we really like the management team. All right, there we go. Greg Tordo from Goldman Sachs, making the case for small caps. We've got to have you come back at some point. We've got to see if it all worked out, but your fund, the one that you manage, up 6% year-to-day, outperforming. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha. 
Frank. Vanguard CEO Tim Buckley will retire at the end of this year. The board of investment giant has started a search process to evaluate both internal and external candidates. Buckley was named CEO in 2018 and has been at Vanguard for three decades, starting as a research assistant to founder Jack Bogle. Under his tenure, Vanguard expanded its assets under management to $9 trillion. Shares of Fisker are tumbling this morning. The EV startup warning about its ability to stay in business, saying it will lay off 15 percent of its workforce. The move follows a series of stumbles in its first year of production. And Boeing agreeing to pay $51 million to settle U.S. export violations. The State Department says from 2013 through 2017, three Chinese employees at facilities in China made unauthorized downloads of technical data related to U.S. defense programs. The State Department says Boeing voluntarily disclosed the violations, which uh, also occurred in more than a dozen other countries. Frank, back over to you. Yeah, Bertha, looking at Boeing shares right now, they're up right now, but down about, what is it, 20% year to date. Wow. Uh, Bertha Coombs, you have a great weekend. Always good to see you. All right, turn our attention now to a developing story and New York Community Bank. Those shares once again under quite a bit of pressure. Take a look at the chart right here. You can see shares are down more than 29%. Our Leslie Picker joins us now with the very latest. Leslie, good morning. Yeah, Frank, and those moves come on top of shares that have been essentially cut in half since the start of the year. But obviously, New York Community Bank Corp shares plunging in pre-market trading today. An 8K after the close last night detailed material weakness in internal controls pertaining to loan review. The company says management identified the issue, which resulted from ineffective oversight risk assessment and monitoring activities. The NYCB says that the assessment of internal controls is not yet complete, but a remediation plan will be disclosed in its 2023 10K. The company completed its goodwill assessment last week. It decided it needed to take an additional $2.4 billion dent to earnings. The company also announced that Alessandro or Sandro Danello would be stepping into the role of CEO after having taken the executive chairman role just shortly after NYCB's fourth quarter earnings. One director, Hanif Wali Daya, resigned in opposition to Danello as CEO. And remember, it was those fourth quarter numbers showing several troubled commercial real estate properties, a bunch of stockpiling of cash to set aside in case others deteriorated, deteriorated. That initially spooked the market and set off these declines that ultimately cut its share price in, in more than half at this point, Frank. Yeah, really dramatic chart, Leslie. We're showing the audience the chart right now. You see the big drop off. Again, New York Community Bank shares down more than 29%. So I, I got to ask you, I mean, we're looking at this chart. When you have so much turmoil on the board and the C-suite, a company's going to get hit. But how big is the issues or how big are the issues, I should say, with this bank more broadly? Does this seem like a contained crisis or is there real risk of a spillover just across the banking system? Yeah, Frank, that's really been the question since their fourth quarter earnings kind of catapulted this stock into, uh, you know, the public consciousness is, you know, will this be the new poster child for 2024's issues in regional and community banks? Now, there are some issues pertaining to their commercial real estate exposure, specifically office um, and rent stabilized markets that could have the potential to affect other banks as well. But the problems that we saw in the 8K yesterday 
are pretty specific from an operational standpoint, from a management standpoint, to New York Community Bank. These are, you know, material weaknesses in, in internal controls. This basically means they didn't have their house in order to adequately uh, assess the potential risk oversight for loan valuations. And so this, as they kind of sort things out, creates an extra layer of uncertainty for New York Community Bank that we have yet to see among its peers. doesn't mean it won't happen. It doesn't mean it can't happen. But at this point in time, this move that we're seeing today, it could create concern broadly. But uh, you know, most analysts and investors that I speak to don't expect to see the magnitude of decline that we're seeing here, down 29%, almost 30% in New York Community Bank Corp pre-market. Yeah, a lot to watch. We're just looking at the uh, KRETF, the regional bank ETF. That's down in the pre-market as well. Uh, Leslie Picker, great reporting as always. Always great to see you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the new headwinds for HPE that have shares falling ahead of the open. You can see they're down just over 6%. But first, we'll give you a few of our top trending stories. We're going to start with Burger King, wasting no time looking to capitalize on the backlash uh, over Wendy's now scrapped surge pricing strategy. I wasn't a fan. The chain is offering a free Whopper with any $3 purchase today, saying the only thing surging at BK is the Flames. That's some good marketing right there. The biggest star in college basketball, now going pro. Iowa's Caitlin Clark announcing she will enter the WNBA draft. Clark is currently making nearly $1 million a year in NIL endorsement deals. The highest salary she can make in the WNBA, that's about $76,000. And new Sopranos memorabilia, it's up for grabs. The restaurant booth from the show's final scene. It's been listed for auction on eBay. Speaking of auctions, our Robert Frank was doing it earlier. 175 bids have been placed with the current price at more than $63,000. Wow. Much more worldwide exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Looking at some of the S&P winners for February, as we mentioned earlier, Constellation Energy right there at the top of the list. Ralph Lauren having its best month, I believe, since 1999, and not surprising, NVIDIA in the number three spot. Okay, time now. Actually, sorry, the losers. We can't forget about the losers as well. Paramount down more than 24% of your biggest laggard, followed by another telecommunications company, Charter Communications. All right, time now for your morning call sheet. We're going to start off. With Goldman Sachs downgrading Estee Lauder and moving it to neutral until some of the uncertainty around travel retail clears up and cost savings initiatives, they begin to pay off. You can see Estee Lauder shares down three quarters of one percent. Dow Capital Markets upgrading its price target on NVIDIA, moving it from five thirty five to nine hundred dollars. Dow says NVIDIA is in the right place at the right time around AI, which could become even bigger. Shares of NVIDIA right now up almost one percent. And a price target increase on Broadcom from Bank of America, moving it to $1,500 per share. B of A act, uh, citing potential upside drivers to the company's full-year 2024 sales outlook. With upside from, I mean, really, what else? Artificial intelligence. Those shares up fractionally right now. Okay, it's also time for your global briefing. We start with Meta, saying it will remove the news section on Facebook starting in April. The decision will affect users in the U.S. and Australia And it follows similar actions for those in the U.K., France and Germany. News outlets have seen a significant drop in referral traffic as Meta moves away from the business following a series of misinformation and content moderation controversies. Over in China, manufacturing activity contracting for a fifth straight month in February. The weak data raising pressure on China to usher in even more stimulus measures ahead of the parliament's meeting next week. 
The late Lunar New Year holiday accounting for some of that weakness as factories shut down for workers to return home. And Ryanair says delays to Boeing 737 MAX deliveries will weigh on its fiscal 2025 traffic. The European airline is forecasting traffic at under 200 million passengers. That's from its previous target of over 205 million. Boeing's delays have forced Ryanair to cut around 10 aircraft lines meant to fly during the peak summer months. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus the tech names our next guest says she's unloading and where she's putting that money to work outside of the high-flying sector. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Elon Musk suing OpenAI over its relationship with Microsoft. Musk, a former OpenAI board member, claims the AI company it's compromised from its original mission to build AI systems for public welfare and is now transformed into what he calls a profit maximization entity under its partnership with Microsoft. Uh, we've been watching Microsoft shares all morning. They were down fractionally lower. All right, Dell soaring on a strong fourth quarter earnings quarter, uh, first, strong fourth quarter, driven by robust demand for artificial intelligence. What else? The PC maker also increasing its dividend by 20 percent. Shares of Dell right now, they're up over 23 percent. Disney CEO Bob Iger getting some support from the grandchildren of Walt Disney and his brother Roy. They're weighing in on the company's proxy fight with activist investor Nelson Peltz, calling that team wolves in sheep's clothing just waiting to tear Disney apart. Congress also passed another short-term spending bill to keep one set of agencies open until March the 8th and others until March the 22nd. And shares of New York Community Bank plummeting again after announcing a CEO change and disclosing internal control issues. Looking at those shares right now, they're down more than 29 percent. All right, here's what to watch today. We get ISM manufacturing and construction spending data later this morning. We're also watching for fresh commentary from a number of Federal Reserve officials and two can't miss interviews today right here on CNBC. We have Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin. He joins at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time in a CNBC exclusive. And Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsbee in a first on CNBC at 10 Eastern time. All right, back to the markets. The S&P and the NASDAQ, both of them coming off fresh record closes to start the new trading month. Taking a look at futures right now, however, we see they're in the red across the board. They took a turn to the downside not too long ago. Looks like the Dow would open about 90 points lower. On last night's Mad Money, however, Jim Cramer saying the one-two punch of yesterday's PCE data and continued tech momentum is now providing some fresh fuel for the rally. If you're bullish, you live for days like this one, where all the supposedly genius short sellers need to either undo their bets or get stampeded. Do you know what the biggest negative bet is in this market? Think about it. Do you know what the self-prescribed bubble bears have been waging war against, telling you that it's all phony hokum? Yeah, artificial intelligence, that's what. Joining me now, Carrie Firestone, RAS Asset Management co-founder, chairman, and CEO. She is, of course, also a CNBC contributor. Carrie, always great to see you. Frank, it's always great to see you, too. All right, let's start off. What do you think about what Kramer said? Uh, he also went on to say that the short sellers, they just got caught on the wrong side, so that's going to continue to fuel things as they continue to make these bets against mega cap tech. What did you think about his thesis? Well, I don't like to disagree with my classmate, Jim Cramer, <laughs> but I think that we have to be careful. You know, the NASDAQ has been on a roar. The S&P is up 23% year to date. Uh, and, and over the last few months, sorry about that, since the October low, it's up uh, 6.5%, 7% year to date. And half of that gain, Frank, and the S&P comes from four names. 
NVIDIA, Meta, Microsoft, and Amazon. So I think it's important to have some perspective that we can be positive about the economy and positive about the market, but not feel that there's this desperate need to go all into AI. If you look at the speculative nature of parts of the market, such as Bitcoin, there's been buying frenzy that's been occurring over the last few weeks. And we just need to keep that in perspective. All right. So you are actually practicing what you're preaching, Carol. You actually made some sales. You're taking some profits on some of those AI fueled names. Give me a sense. Why now? Why do you want to take these profits now? Well, we we took some profits in Meta, which had become our largest position. We had owned Meta and we bought more Meta. This is back a couple of years ago, year and a half ago, when the stock was cratered. And we felt that over the last uh, year or so, it has been such a fantastic stock. It has grown and the portfolio weight of Meta was very large. And so just you know, being prudent, we decided to cut some back. It's still a large position, but not nearly you know, not what it was before. We think the growth is still there. AI is a big part of it. We, we see that they've been dominant in their space, but okay. it just makes sense. And we bought, and we also sold some Adobe. And that again was because it had grown, the stock has been very good over the past year. And we recognize that there is some potential disruption in their marketplace. If you think about text to AI and what uh, text to video and what AI might do to increase the uh, number of options for people in the in okay. the uh, uh, we're Adobe. almost we're almost out of time, Kara. I want to get to, to some of your picks. We're going to show a board with your picks, but I want to focus on one because it is it's it's beyond just tech rallying this year. One of your picks, ticker WAB, Westinghouse Airbrake Technologies Corp. Those shares up twelve percent year to date. Um, give me a sense. How'd you even identify this company? I mean, so many people are focused on tech. Why are you focused on stocks like these? Oh, well, we bought this stock a few years ago. It was a, a, a client in Pittsburgh who told us about it. And we did some work and we thought, here's an industrial. It's focused on infrastructure, rail cars, uh, metro rail system. And that was in desperate need of some upgrade across the country, both at major railroads and in um uh, the whole system okay. of Metro Rail. And so we thought that's a great idea. We think infrastructure still goes forward and All we right. still like it. Carrie, that's one of your picks. Great to see you. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for us. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.